the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. God is not the source. He doesn't incite us to, to be tempted or to sin in any way. Temptation is the result of our own evil desires and rebellion against God in cooperation with all the things that are bright and shining in our world and the things that Satan would love to throw our way to try to seduce us away from God. But God himself is not the source of temptation. He is not the source of evil. It is also important to understand, number two, that temptation itself is not sin. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted, just like you were tempted, but He was without sin. This is how we know that being tempted isn't a sin. But there is a progression from temptation that leads to sin if the temptation isn't dealt with. God has promised that He will always make a way for you to avoid sinning when you are tempted. In today's message, Pastor Gary will explain some misunderstandings about temptation and encourage you in your fight against it. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be in chapter 4 this evening. If you'll turn there with me in your Bibles, Luke chapter 4. Well, we left off at the end of chapter 3, moving into chapter 4. Chapter 3 tells us that Jesus is now beginning his public ministry. He is water baptized by John the Baptist, not because Jesus had to be baptized for any sin. He was without sin, but because water baptism identified himself with humanity. That was the purpose behind his baptism. And it was basically then the launching of his public ministry. Luke 3 tells us that he's about 30 years of age. And immediately after he is baptized in water, then it tells us in chapter 4 that he's going to go out into the wilderness. He's going to be there praying and fasting. And uh, during this time, Satan is going to come and he is going to tempt him. So that's where we are here in chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 1 down through verse 13 and then come back and talk about this section. Very important section, very practical for us as well to understand just the subject of temptation, how Satan works, how we are to resist him. Let's look here at this story and see what Jesus did to combat the temptation of Satan. So in verse 1, it says that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. 
Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this, all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So here, here's this time here. Jesus goes into the wilderness of Judea. He is fasting 40 days, uh, 40 nights. This is a time when he is just going to, uh, at the beginning of his public ministry, just come to this place of, you know, through fasting and through prayer, just, you know, that part of his humanity. He wants to just surrender in all its aspect to the will of the Father. And here comes Satan at this time to tempt him, to test him. To try to get him to sin. Uh, Jesus is hungry. And so one of the first things that Satan does here is he tempts him with food. And he talks about, he says to him, if you are back in verse 3, if you are the son of God, uh, tell this stone to become bread. Now, when we think about temptation, and, and I'll, I'll kind of talk about the subject of temptation at the same time we'll work our way through this, this passage here. Uh, we need to understand a few things because this is obviously not unique to Jesus. The fact that Satan will tempt is not unique to Jesus, although Satan probably is not specifically the one tempting you. I know we like to think of it and we talk in terms of Satan tempted me, Satan made me do this, Satan wants me to do that kind of a thing. But, you know, in all honesty, Satan reserves probably his time for probably people more important than you and me. Okay, he's not omnipresent. He can't be in all places at the same time. So, you know, he's using his minions, the demonic forces. Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter six. There are spiritual forces of evil. There are demonic principalities. In addition to the world and our own flesh, all three things are working in concert against us, our flesh, the world and the devil. And some things that are basic to understand about temptation, uh, for those of you who like to take notes, three things temptation is not. First, temptation is not from God. And the passage there for you is James chapter 1. I'll read these passages I have in parentheses, uh, probably before you can turn to them, so you can just jot down the reference and you can read them yourself later if you'd like. But James chapter 1, 13 to 15, it says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So it tells us first we need to understand that temptation is, is not because God is trying to tempt us. That doesn't come because God is the source of it. God is not the source. He doesn't incite us to, to be tempted or to sin in any way. Temptation is the result of our own evil desires in rebellion against God in cooperation with all the things that are bright and shining in our world and the things that Satan would love to throw our way to try to seduce us away from God. But God himself 
is not a source of temptation. He is not the source of evil. It is also important to understand, number two, that temptation itself is not sin. Temptation itself is not sin. And if you listened a moment ago when I read out of James 1, there's a progression to temptation that can lead to sin. But temptation itself is not sin. And James, again, in James 1, he talks about how after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So if temptation is not dealt with, it can lead to sin, but by itself, it's not sin. Here's another reason we know, because Hebrews 4 and verse 15 tells us that Jesus was in every way tempted as we are, yet was without sin. So if Jesus is temp- was tempted in every way as we are, yet he didn't sin, it tells us that temptation itself is not sin. It entices us to sin, but by itself it is not sin. And then the third thing that is important to understand about temptation is that it is not avoidable. Now, I know it would be better grammar to say it's unavoidable, but then that would mess up the alliteration there, okay? (laughs) So, So you can write unavoidable if you want to be more grammatically correct. But anyway, not from God, uh, not sin, and temptation is not avoidable. In other words... We will all be tempted. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so you can stand up under it. And listen to that. It's telling us that we will be tempted. It doesn't say if you are tempted, it says, and when you are tempted, God will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it, so that you don't have to succumb to it. But all of us will be tempted. Our senses are constantly being barraged with things that will tempt us. It is unavoidable. If you have a pulse, you will be tempted, okay? And it crosses all kinds of cultural differences. It crosses gender differences. It crosses age differences. Everybody will be tempted. I remember years ago, I was uh, speaking at a men's conference. It was, it was a small men's conference. And, and I was speaking on Solomon and, uh, you know, his thousand women. He had, you know, 700 wives and 300 concubines, uh, the Bible says. I guess because one wasn't enough. I don't know. And so, you know, we talked about the lust of the flesh and Solomon. The Bible says that Solomon was, his heart was led astray by his pagan wives. Because they, these weren't Jewish women. These were pagan women who worshipped other gods. And as a result of their influence, because he opened his heart to them, Solomon engaged in some of the worst idolatry in the history of Israel and led the nation of Israel into terrible times of idolatry, so much so that under the reign of King Solomon, they were sacrificing, the Jewish people were sacrificing their own children to the false gods of Molech and Chemosh. Right there in view of the temple that Solomon built, right there in the valley of Hinnom, children were being sacrificed under the, under the reign during the watch of King Solomon. And I was, and I was teaching the, this men's conference about lust and, and uh, sexual temptation and Solomon and look at what happened and look what happens when you give in and this kind of thing and, you're, and you're, your life runs amok until you're, you're now at this point of this horrible, uh, uh, unimaginable thing is sacrificing children and, and this whole kind of a thing. Well, anyway, after the conference was, was done, I had a time, they wanted me to do a time of Q&A, not that I have all the answers to the cues 
on that subject, but I was asked, could you stick around, do a little Q&A, and then have a prayer time with, with the man? I said, oh, okay, sure. So I remember this one guy raised his hand, Q&A time, 20-something, and he, and he raised his hand and he says, I just have a question. I'd like to know at what point does temptation, does it get better at some point? And uh, then he sat back down. And before I could answer, there was another guy in the group who raised his hand. And this guy was an older man, and I know that word is relative, but I would say he was probably pushing 80, okay? And he raised his hand before I could answer, and he, and he, and he took a, it took a time for him to get up out of his chair. And he said, I'd like to answer that question. So the question is, you know, does temptation, does it get better? And he rises up from his seat, and he said, I'd like to answer that question. And the answer is... It never gets better. It's back down. There was like the silence in the room. And the first, you know, the first, it was like people let out a gasp. Like, are you kidding me? It doesn't get better. You're 80 and it doesn't get better. You know, and that's our first thought. My second thought was, you dirty old man. You know, that's what I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, let me go. Dot com, cougars.com. I don't know if that's a real website. I don't know. I probably shouldn't say that, but I'm just... I'm imagining like, what are you doing? You're 80 years old. You're supposed to encourage us. But no, but his point was this. His point was, listen, as long as you breathe, there will be some measure of temptation because until we depart from this body of flesh, we will have to wrestle with temptation to some degree, to some degree or another. It is unavoidable. We will all be tempted by itself. It is not sin. And God is not behind temptation. And we can see here that obviously Satan is behind some temptation here because he's the one trying to tempt Jesus. But it's important for us to understand now as, as, we, as we recognize the reality of temptation in our lives, this is an important verse from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 16. And I put King James up there for you because King James uses three particular phrases that help us understand some dynamics about temptation. Here's what the verses say. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now notice, again, we have our own flesh, we have the devil, we have the world. And when you look at this verse here, and I just wanted to underline three particular phrases in the passage here, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, what it really tells us is that temptation enters through three prominent doors, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All temptation really enters through one of or a combination of these three doors, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. In reality, when you look here in Luke chapter 4 at how Satan was tempting Jesus, these three doors were being opened to Jesus. The first issue here is Satan comes to Jesus and he says, if you are the Son of God, and actually the literal Greek would translate, since you are, since you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. What does he appeal to? He appeals to the flesh. Jesus is hungry. You want some bread? Let me command you to use your power in a way that would satisfy yourself rather than necessarily the will of God. Now, please note this, and this is very important also about how temptation works. When Satan is behind tempting us, what he will often try to do is he will appeal to a legitimate need that we have 
in hopes that we will fulfill it in an illegitimate way. Everybody hear that? Satan will often appeal to a legitimate need, hoping and trying to tempt us to fulfill that legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Okay? Jesus is hungry. That is a le- that's a legitimate need. Okay? But, but he's not going to just bow down to the direction of Satan. And Satan wants Jesus to fulfill his legitimate need by an illegitimate means. God has given sex as a gift in marriage. Sexual desire is a legitimate need. But what Satan loves to often do, and our own flesh getting in the way, trying to fulfill a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And we have to be aware of this because sometimes, I remember in high school, I was a high school youth pastor for a few years, eons ago, back in the Civil War. And I remember this one guy came up to me and he was just like, Pastor Gary, please pray that God will take away my sexual desires. I'm like, no, God gave you those. What I will pray for you, though, is that you will not gratify them in an illegitimate way. And that God, by his grace and by his Holy Spirit, will help you to be able to live in such a way that you will recognize There are legitimate needs, there are legitimate desires, there are legitimate wants. But the issue is not to fulfill those things in illegitimate ways. So Satan here first appeals to flesh. Jesus, since you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. You you know, you got to be hungry, so why why don't you just do that and then satisfy your flesh? And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. there's, There's more to it than just bread. There's like obedience. Well, then the second thing the devil does here in verse 5 is he leads him up to a high place. And, and we get the idea that this is kind of a supernatural, you know, movement in, in, in time and space where he takes him to certain places. Uh, and, and he does this with, which it's not like they walked there. He's, they're actually kind of being moved in a supernatural way here. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, kind of like on this panoramic, panoramic screen, just, you know, all the kings of the world and just kind of this visual thing that is happening. It's kind of a supernatural moment here where he's showing him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And, and this is where Satan then says to him in verse 6, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, but the glory of it has been snatched by Satan because when Satan rebelled from God, when he, Lucifer rebelled from God in, in heaven and was cast to earth, then Satan assumes the glory of the earth and the glory of the kingdoms. Now, Revelation tells us that one day when Christ returns, that he will once again retake the glory of uh, the earth and the glory of the nations. But for the moment... The Bible says that Satan is the prince of the air, and it tells us that the, that the world is under his control, and he wants uh, Jesus to be tempted with his eyes. It's that second category. Take a look. In an instant, he shows him, he visually shows him all of this glory. Why don't you, Satan is suggesting, why don't you ba- bypass the cross, why don't you bypass your suffering, and I'll just give you the glory give you the glory of all the kingdoms. And he appeals to the eyes, to the visual. And Jesus answered in verse 8, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Well, the third thing that the devil does is he leads him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Now, 
The highest point of the temple is the southeast corner of the temple. And Josephus, the first century historian, said that from the top of the southeast corner of the temple all the way down to the ground was 400 feet. 400 feet. Satan, again, this is not like they climbed to the top there. This is this kind of supernatural moment. They're, they are all, all of a sudden positioned there on the southeast corner, the highest point of the temple. And Satan says to him, if, or again, since, literally, you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. This is Satan quoting scripture. Please take note of that. He doesn't quote it exactly, but he quotes it enough. He says, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. Literally, in uh, Psalms, he's quoting from Psalms, it says, to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up on their hand, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. It basically appeals to pride. He says, Jesus, you know, you're going to be fine. You're invincible. Just throw yourself off. The angels will take care of you. And Satan quotes scripture to him and says, you know, look, just act like you know you can be. You're invincible. And he appeals to that, that side of us, you know, the pride of life we have to guard against this feeling of not only being invincible, but just this arrogant view, this overestimation of ourselves. Pride, I think it was John Calvin who said, pride is the pregnant mother of all sins. Because, you know, when you think about how destructive pride is and how it leads to all other kinds of sins, it is incredibly damaging. Satan here is trying to appeal to some kind of pride with Jesus. You know, why don't you, why don't you just consider how invincible you are? You're tough. You know, you just throw yourself off here and the angels will take charge of you and they'll keep you from falling. And Jesus answered in verse 12, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So in understanding a little bit about temptation and how it works, uh, here's some important couple of points about how we can resist it. And we can take note of Jesus' example here. What did he do? Every single time Jesus, uh, rather Satan came against Jesus, what did Jesus do? He quoted scripture. He quoted scripture. It's important to remember that God's word insulates us from temptation. Every single time Jesus was tempted, he quoted scripture. It just so happens that every single time Jesus quoted scripture, it was from the book of Deuteronomy. It was Deuteronomy 8, Deuteronomy 8.3, Deuteronomy 6.13, and Deuteronomy 6.16. Deuteronomy happens to be the book that Jesus quoted from more than any other Old Testament book, but it's it just in general... When, when you are feeling tempted, quote scripture. Now, what does that mean then? That means you have to know scripture. If, if you are feeling tempted, you have to be equipped enough to be able to respond with scripture. So it is good to read scripture and to memorize scripture and to hold dear certain verses that will strengthen us in our own battles against temptation. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Young man, young woman, it's all universal. In Psalm 119, verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There is an intrinsic, powerful value to knowing and memorizing and having in your heart the word of God, it will insulate you against temptation. And every time you feel Satan rising up, just hit him with the word. Just hit him with the word. And that's what Jesus does here. It helps to insulate us. But please note, even Satan knows the word because he quotes it here. He quotes it here. He, he often will distort scripture, obviously, but he knows it. 
So when you quote it, the power of Scripture will be very familiar to it every time. The Gospel of Luke takes a unique look at the life of Christ from His birth to His ministry, His death and resurrection. Luke described Jesus as the Son of Man, one of his favorite ways to refer to himself. Jesus was God in human form, showing all of us what it means to live a completely sinless life. There was no fault to be found in Him, yet Jesus was still nailed to a cross. But His death had purpose too. He stood in for you, taking the punishment your sin deserves. And then He rose from the grave, conquering death and the evil one. What an amazing Savior this Son of Man truly is. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus, or would you like someone to pray with you? If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. Find out service times and more information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and be able to download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know